Hello, 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 my fellow geeks and nerds of all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, whatever there is in between. This is Dawn of the Devs Podcast, the podcast for the tech curious and the career enthusiasts. This is everything you need to know about life after Dev Bootcamp. Hey everybody, it's Greg Johnson and Jason Tennant, and we have a very interesting lineup for you guys today. Uh, We're going to be talking to Doug and Will, the founders of a boot camp called Destination Dev, and I'm going to let them get into exactly what it is and what it isn't, Uh, but I've been following them and their story for a while now and what they're doing and uh, really exciting stuff. But the topic outside of just who they are, what they're doing and the story behind starting Destination Dev is what it's like to actually be a digital nomad. Is it all the the glitz and glamour that you see on Instagram with people taking uh, pictures of them, quote unquote, coding in the sand in a hammock with a corona or something like that or is it a lot messier than that we're going to talk about the good the bad and the ugly uh super excited about this and we also we have a live audience that's going to be fielding some questions for us uh so it should be really really cool but doug will thank you so much for joining us today yeah thanks for having us thank you greg yeah, no problem. So, Doug, I'm going to go ahead and, and toss the ball to you for a little bit. Tell us a little bit about Destination Dev and, and how you guys came up with the idea and, and what kind of what your, your story is and what your guys' background is also. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I think the easiest place for me to start with the story of Destination Dev is just to start about how I got into coding. Um, so, I went to college, um, studied neuroscience there, and Never really did any coding, any computer science during high school or college, you know, just seeing what other people in computer science classes were working on, these very abstract problems in C++ and Java, um, you know, just never really appealed to me. Um, So after college, I went to work at a neuroscience lab and sort of started to feel like science wasn't quite the the right thing for me. Um, So, you know, I was living in San Francisco, started getting interested in coding, and once I started learning some of the languages and concepts that were a little bit more applicable to building real world software, things like Ruby and JavaScript. Um, I found that I, I loved it. Um, so at that point, I actually enrolled in a coding bootcamp, the now soon to be defunct Dev Bootcamp. Um, so I attended Dev Bootcamp in 2013 and you know I got a ton out of it. It really, you know, it really changed my life. And I really set out to start coding so that I could do things that were entrepreneurial, so that I could travel and, you know, just have some more freedom in my life. Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, worked full time for some companies in San Francisco and wound up having the opportunity to move to Santiago, Chile to participate in a startup incubator there called Startup Chile. Um, so there, you know, I was working on a really early stage startup idea. Um, I was there for six month, months and that's actually where I met Will. So. Um, when that program wrapped up, um, my co-founder at the time and I kind of decided we, we didn't really want to pursue the project anymore. So I was starting to do basically freelance work full time. And, um, you know, I didn't really feel like going back to the U S yet. So I was asking around like, Hey, where should I go? And, uh, some of my friends that I met in Chile from Colombia were like, you have to go to Medellin. This is where all the digital nomads are hanging out. Like this is a great location you know, for what you're doing, wanting to travel and wanting to freelance. Um, so I went to Medellin and a uh, short time after that, Will 
showed up there. So he can tell you a bit about his background, but he's, he's from Columbia. And that's where we came up with the idea for Destination Dev. So, you know, really, I think the impetus was I knew that there was something with the bootcamp education model. You know, it worked for me personally. I have so many friends that, you know, had a similar story where they went from <coughs> ground zero in coding up to, you know, six-figure salaries and um, completely new careers. So I knew that it worked, but I knew that there were also a lot of people like me who were potentially more interested in traveling and entrepreneurship, um, maybe a little bit more so than just going to do a nine to five. Uh, and, you know, really coming to Medellin and experiencing the city, there's such a thriving digital nomad community there that it, that really seemed like the, the best place for us to start a boot camp like this. Um, so that's really where the, the program came from. Um, William, do you have anything you want to add to that for kind of yeah, sure. stories? Yeah, so you know, for me, um, so for me, actually, when I when I finished university in Boston, I, um, you know, I worked for a private equity firm for a little bit. I also worked at Northeastern University, and they were launching uh, a couple of things within the education realm. So one of the things was uh, something called the Experiential Network, which is trying to find people, um, you know, students short term short term projects. And the other thing was they were launching a analytics bootcamp called Level. Uh, Level now is in four different cities. So, you know, that got me very involved um, in the education sector and, and it's something that I really liked. Um, but after that, you know, I, I started working on, on my own on my own startup. I, you know, I went to Startup Chile where I met Doug. You know, it was a program where it was basically 40K funding, free workspace, that type of stuff. Then I went to Puerto Rico um, for another program called Parallel 18. But, you know, we, we kept working on Destination Dev and, and we just, um, it really seemed like a good fit for both of us. You know, I... I well, you know, I'm from Colombia, so I, I have that going for me, right? It helps a lot to have somebody that's local. Um, and same thing with Thailand. I have, you know, a lot of connections there. And then Doug really has, you know, the whole story behind how do you move from somebody that's not a developer to being actually a digital nomad, right? Um, so yeah. we, thought, we thought there was a lot of synergy there, and, and we just kind of ran with it, and, and it started really picking up. So um, that's kind of how it, how it came to be. <laughs> That's awesome. And so Destination Dev, uh, it's in Colombia, uh, Medellin. Did I say it right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, actually, so this is super random. Uh, one of my goals, I'm, I'm turning 31 in a couple weeks, uh, is I'm going to learn Spanish in my 31st year of life. My wife is completely fluent. She lived in South America for a lot of years. Uh, not a lot of years. She lived in South America for a while. Um, and I, I've, I've got to step up my game. I can speak Swedish fluently, uh, but that nice. doesn't do me a whole lot of good out here. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Medellin, and then you're going to go, uh, you're going to have, I think you said three different locations in Thailand, right? Yeah. So the, the program we're going to do in Thailand is going to be one program, but that's going to be more of a traveling program. So okay. it'll be, well, we'll start out in Bangkok, move to Chiang Mai, and then finally do a week or two kind of on the beach down, down by the islands. Very, very cool. And so is this uh, kind of the, the typical three-month boot camp? Is it longer? Is it shorter? What, what does it look like? Yeah, do you want to take this one, Will? Yeah, so the, you know, the, the program, basically, you know, the way it works is that, um, you know, you have, you know, the, the last one we ran was like eight weeks. Uh, we're looking to expand it now, um, you know, to, to around 12 weeks. So, you know, one of the things for us is that we want to also make sure that, you know, every country that we're in and uh, that, we, you know, we don't surpass the visa requirements, right? So each country has that different, makes sense. Um, different times that they allow you to be in the country. 
Uh, but for us, you know, we think, um, yeah, we think it'll, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the typical program, maybe a little bit longer. Okay. Very cool. Uh, that's, that's awesome because I love traveling. I know a lot of people would love to travel as well. And, and the whole, there's a lot of glitz and glamour around uh, being a digital nomad. I mean, being able to see the world, being able to just basically live off of Wi-Fi and, <laughs> and uh, your laptop is, is a really cool idea. Um, and so I want to, I want to try and get into uh, some of the, the cool parts of it. Um, obviously, everybody knows the glitz and glamour, but also let's talk a little bit about uh, the reality of it. Is it, jumping on your laptop on a beach somewhere and writing code or, or what is it, what does digital nomad even really mean? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think for me, digital nomad basically means um, an individual who's able to work remotely and follows a lifestyle where they travel, you know, to exotic locations in order to work there. Um, that could also be, you know, traveling across the U S or, you know, anything like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be coding on the beach. Um, but basically, if, if you want to go to a location and they have good internet there, um, and maybe your time zone isn't too out of whack from whoever you want to work with, um, or you're willing to stay up in the middle of the night to work, then, you know, that's, that's how you work. And that's really what, how I would define Digital Nomad. Yeah, and I, and I think going into a little bit, you know, what you were saying, is it all um, just glamorous, you know, coding the beach or doing whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that, that can be very difficult, right? So, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, probably the most important thing is just the fact that you have to be very, very careful with your time and how you mm -hmm. manage it. Um, it's very hard sometimes to not get distracted, right? Especially, I mean, if, if you're going to an exotic location, it's your first time there, it's natural that you might get, you know, distracted um, or it's natural that, you know, maybe you're dealing with logistical things, so you, you might not be hundred percent focused on your work. So I think, you know, really getting into the flow of things and really being able to manage that and put aside, you know, your time where you're actually going to work, where, you know, you're going to have hundred percent, you know, good internet connection. Um, that type of stuff is, is really important, I think. And it's one of the hardest things I feel like. Yeah, no, for sure. So I, uh, in the last, I guess, year and a half or so. Uh, have gone to being a hundred percent remote and I, I'm not, I'm obviously, I, I can almost do hello world from memory, but that's about, that's about it as far as my uh, development goes. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one of my first things is just trying to figure out how to time block and, and make sure I'm, I'm really uh, disciplined with my time because you don't have those people that are standing over your shoulder uh, right. And it's the same thing with, you know, if, if you're not traveling anywhere, but you're working out of your home, uh, you've, you've got to make sure that you've got the boundaries to be able to, to stick to it and, and do, the, do the work that you've got to do. Uh, and the thing that I think is really funny about those, those Instagram pictures that you always see of, of the person, you know, on the beach coding is, I doubt they have Wi-Fi there. Like it's, yeah. they took the picture <laughs> and there's for sure no Wi-Fi and right. the laptop may or may not be even turned on at the moment. But yeah. yeah. Um, so or you'll see a lot of those photos with like a guy on the edge of a pool. Like, <laughs> all right, you're yeah. only going to be able to code there on the edge of the pool for like 10 minutes before you start getting super uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so let's, uh, I want to get 
some of your stories. So, so Doug, what's uh, what's the coolest story you've got as a digital nomad, and what's the the scariest thing that's that's happened to you as as a digital nomad? Hmm. Interesting question. So, you know, I, I really I think the coolest thing is just being able to um, to experience a new culture in a way where you're not really a tourist, you know? So, um, I mean, I lived in Chile for basically seven months straight. And, um, you know, I think I really got an opportunity to meet local Chileans, to get a, a very good understanding of, of what it's like to live in Chile. And same thing when I moved up to Colombia. Um, so, you know, prior to that, I'd been, you know, I'd traveled around, but it had been a vacation type thing, you know? The longest I'd ever been somewhere was Greece for about a month. But, you know, aside from that, it was mainly just two weeks here, one week there. Um, right. So, I mean, I think that's really the number one thing is being able to, to live somewhere like a local and to, you know, learn the language, learn about their cuisine and really, you know, meet some local people and, and start making friends and connections there. So, you know, I think that's the number one thing. Um, you know, as far as scariest thing that's happened to me, um, I mean, to be honest, there hasn't really been anything super scary that's happened to me personally. Um, you know, being across South America, I've heard stories um, from, you know, other digital nomads I've met or locals or whatever who have had some pretty sketchy experiences, you know. Um, but I think if you are careful and you do things the right way, um, you can make those experiences much less likely to happen. So, I mean, right. luckily, knock on wood, um, I haven't had anything too scary happen to me personally. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so let's, let's kind of dive into some of the, the logistics of being a, a digital nomad. Obviously, you've got to have the, the tools and everything like that. But putting that aside, um, are you finding work before you go to the other country? Are you finding work while you're in the other country? How do you find those things? Like, wh where are you finding the work to be able to do this stuff? And, and what's, what's, what would you say a typical pay rate would be? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's another really good question. Um, I think basically there are three routes you can go, um, specifically as a software developer in order to be able to fund yourself, you know, while traveling. Um, the first would be, hey, I've been working at company X for a year and a half now. They can't really afford to lose me. So I'm going to say, hey, I want to go travel. I'm either going to have to quit or maybe you can allow me to, to work remotely. Maybe we can try out some type of a trial period, a month, month and a half, whatever. Um, yeah. So really, that's, that's the first and most approachable way to, to start traveling would be just to you know, see if you can work yourself up to a position in a company where um, you, know, you can kind of say, hey, this is a perk that I need at this point in my life. Um, and you know, I know a bunch of people who have done that. Um, former colleague of mine who worked at, at a company with me, he basically just came in one day and he was like, well, I got a one-way ticket to Argentina. So I'm going there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just informing you of that. Like we can do, we, I can either keep working or not. And eventually they're like, all right, fine. You know, you can, you can just work from down there. So um, that's the first way. Uh, the second way would be to find a fully remote job. So there's a number of companies that have, um, you know, fully distributed workforces and you can get a job there where, you know, they're already set up where, either a, a huge percentage of people in their company or even everybody in their company already works remotely. Um, so that's another way you can go. And then 
you know, really the most popular way, which is also the most difficult, um, or I guess the biggest, biggest kind of learning curve um, would be doing freelance work. So freelance work means uh, you're going to be talking to companies, organizations, big and small, who need to have software developed for them or maintained. And you're going to do that on a freelance contract basis. So charging hourly, you know, maybe, maybe short, two-week, month-long contracts, that kind of a thing. I got a question for you real quick. Um, you're talking about uh, being at a job that, you know, they can't really lose you and you just come in and say, hey, I'd like to travel around a little bit. Can we work out a remote deal? Um, what if uh, the place that you want to go to is a completely different time zone? You know, uh, how could you, like, convince your company that it would be okay to pull that off because – they probably want you to be working during the hours that they're working too, right? So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, um, I mean, the easiest way I can address that is to say, you know, go to South America. <laughs> You're going to be on the same time zone, right? So you get to go to a different exotic location, but you'll be on the same time zone as any employer that you're working for in the U.S. Um, aside from that, you know, there's some companies that have been working with distributed teams for a while and they're able to do things where you don't necessarily have to be online at X hours of the day. Um, so for those, you know, maybe you could go somewhere else like Asia or somewhere deeper into Europe where you're on a completely flipped time zone. Um, but that's probably going to be difficult to do in a lot of cases. So, you know, there's, there's some companies where that's really not going to be feasible. Yeah. They're going to say, you have to be online during this time. So, I mean, the third option is, hey, I want to go to Thailand. I'm just going to work during the middle of the night, right? So that, yeah. that's the third option. So yeah. it really kind of depends on your situation. And if you want to do something like that, like work, you know, odd hours or, or anything like that. It feels like this is something that's kind of hard to pull off. I mean, the freelance thing is a whole other thing, but like working out something with your current company, I don't know that... I've, I've read the four hour work week, you know, and his little spiel about like work, work remote a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then finally one day you just never come in anymore. <laughs> so yeah. I've always been like, eh, I mean, on paper that sounds easy, but is that really that easy to pull off? I don't know, but it'd be pretty awesome if you could. Yeah. I think yeah, a lot of that depends on the type of company that you're working for. You know, if you're working yeah. for like a Google or something, they're going to have so much bureaucracy in place to prevent anybody from doing something like that. Um, but, you know, if you're at more of a smaller mid-sized company, then they're, I think, a lot more likely to have that kind of flexibility. Yeah. I've actually heard stories of people doing that, that that are not even developers. I don't remember. There's this one lady on LinkedIn uh, who posted about it. I want to say she was like a, a project manager even, which seems like that needs to be an, an on-site thing uh and she was able to work it out where she i want to say went to europe for like three months or something like that uh and it was the exact same story whereas she was going to just quit and her mom was like no don't just quit why don't you just ask for what you want and she did and it worked out for her uh, it could very very easily just like jason said go the complete opposite way where they're like well there's the door Hopefully it won't hit you on the way out. <laughs> Have fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, here's, here's my next question though. So a lot of the, the people that we're, we're talking to and, and even the people that you're going to be working with and uh, the people that listen to the, the podcast are people that are going to be either jumping into a boot camp or recent grads of a boot camp or things like that. They don't necessarily already have a job 
at a company like that. So how do they, if this is something that is important to them or, or one of the reasons why they're getting into tech or, or fill in the blank with whatever the reason is, how do they start off doing that? How do they, they get into the freelance stuff and, and find those companies? Yeah. Um, so this is something that we really had to tackle when we, you know, we had our first batch of students come through because a lot of them are very interested in doing the digital nomad thing. Obviously, you know, if they're joining a program like ours and, you know, really the, the honest answer is if you're starting from ground zero, like recent boot camp, boot camp grad or something like that, you probably need to go get a full time in-house job for a little while. Um, you know, a lot of the companies that offer 100% remote work. I mean, you can kind of imagine they don't really have the infrastructure in place to train junior engineers. It's much easier to train somebody if you have a team there in the office, you know, to see what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe pair a program with them a little bit. So, you know, a lot of the, the companies with distributed workforces, they don't really have a great onboarding process for, for junior developers, or they may not even hire junior developers. Um, and then when you think about, you know, freelancing, it's something that you totally can do as a junior developer. And if, you know, you're, you're kind of in the situation where like, look, 100%, I'm not going back to get a full-time job, then, okay, like you can make it work. You can find freelance work and you can continue to build your skill set. But it's going to be a lot easier to um, make sure that you're, you're progressing and learning the right things when you have that mentorship of, of a full-time on-site job. So I'd say, you know, if you go get a full-time job for one year, I mean, after a year, you're ready to go, right? So start planning. Um, but what I've advised most of my students who are starting from ground zero um, was, yeah, you should probably go and try and get a full-time job first. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's a really good reality check because uh, unfortunately, sometimes boot camps, uh, they make it seem like you're going to go through this thing and you're going to be set for life. Uh, just right out, as soon as graduation hits, you're going to get a six figure thing and you can hit the ground running. Um, but the thing that I love that you, you said there is you're going to, there's still more that you got to learn and uh, it's not a guaranteed thing that you're going to be able to do anything um, until you get that job. I mean, you could go for the freelance thing. It's going to be a lot harder uh, because you're at that point, you're, you're not just learning but you're also trying to build your reputation mm -hmm. um and so for the people that are listening that are thinking of doing a boot camp i obviously i'm a hundred percent for it go for it uh and if you're doing it to become a digital nomad uh listen to it to what doug said i mean it's a great idea you can do it um but it might be a, a good idea to try and get an, an internship or uh some sort of mentorship thing or a full-time job or something where you you really are able to solidify uh, a portfolio of work more than just the, the capstone project or whatever you call it in your class. Uh, but you can actually say, I've done this for such uh, this much time and everything like that. That's, that's good. Yeah. No, and I think also that, you know, it's the, the reality is that money is an issue, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you could potentially just go straight into freelancing and trying to do your own thing. But the thing is it might take you much more time than you even have the money to sustain yourself. Um, even if you're living abroad, right? I mean, things still add up. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's the one thing. And, and I guess if you go into, you know, you could go into freelancing and in something that maybe you were previously doing and now you have these like tech chops that you can add to it. That's fine too, but maybe that's not what you want, right? Maybe you want to jump into, into actually what development. You don't want to do 
um, I don't know if you were if you're a designer and then you're learning web development so you can do some front-end stuff um, you know that could be useful but if you were doing something completely different then I, you know I think you have to kind of take that year of experience and really really solidify the stuff that you learn yeah so um, taking taking what you just said and fast forward to a year most most students they they know the traditional job hunt tactics and most boot camps should be able to to coach them in that and resume and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. Uh, so fast forward a year and they've done, they've gotten the year under their belt. They've had the full-time experience, everything like that. They want to go and their, their company is not going to allow them to do the um, uh, remote work and everything like that. So they're going to do the freelance thing. What, what are some of the websites? I mean, how do you, how do you find those gigs that are going to allow you to, live abroad and not run out of money and call home hoping to for somebody to wire you some money so you can eat for the next week right um yeah so really it's a much different skill set finding freelance work than it is you know getting let's say getting another job at, at another tech company you know um really the the interview process is very formulaic like you can you can look online, there's countless websites that have, all right, these are the algorithms you need to know, read Cracking the Coding interview, like master that, you're good to go, right? You'll, you'll get right. yourself a job. Um, that's really not the case at all for freelance work. Um, really, you have to A, get very creative and B, build your marketing and sales skills. <laughs> so number one is you need some type of portfolio you can show off. Um, number two is you need some type of strategy that you can use to sort of work. You know, um, kind of like anything goes in, you have to say something like on Upwork, uh, or I think there's like freelance.com. Um, really, you're kind of competing with a lot of other developers overseas who are going to undercut you a lot on price. And um, also the work is just not very steady on there from what I've seen. Um, so, you know, you're going to probably get paid a lot less than you would if you're able to find your own work. Um, and yeah, again, um, it, it's just not that abundant. So my first piece of advice is, you know, there's you can how many people there are that either need software built, need software maintained, know someone that does. So that's very sure. Um, after that, you, know, you can start trying to build an online presence, um, you know, putting out content, that type of thing. Um, and then finally, you just got a little bit, right? Go on into list, find early stage companies, start sending out cold emails, you know, just uh, start knocking down doors. And um, really, once you start getting some projects in your backlog, it'll get easier and easier the more you continue. So if you really, if you really kind of prefer SQL or something like that, there's no way to build a portfolio of SQL. So it sounds like you're, you're almost going to have to um, get real creative with the CSS and the front end stuff. Cause I mean, the portfolio has to wow people, you know, to kind of bring them in to want to hire you. Right. So, yeah, well um, I think not necessarily there's other things you can do. So for example, let's say that you're working on a web app. Um, and you know, you're doing freelance and you're doing hundred percent of the back end stuff. Okay. There's still probably going to be front end. Right. So I think you're still, you know, you can show off the front end. Like that's you're, you still help to build that software. Right. So even if you built the back end, 
someone else built the front end that people are actually seeing when they click on the link. Um, that's still something that I put in my portfolio. And I think, you know, it's something that still shows off your work. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole freelance thing kind of intrigues me. I, I don't know if I'd ever get into it, but I feel like if I could just get a few clients and get the ball rolling, it wouldn't be too hard. But I've seen uh, a buddy of mine. He's, he's more of a front end guy. Um, he's big into WordPress and, uh, he cranked out a website. This is like three or four years ago, but he cranked out a website for a company that does like golf clubs and stuff like that. And, and, and he showed me it cause he was talking about this project and I looked at it and I told him, I was like, I hate to make you feel bad, dude, but honestly, this doesn't look good. <laughs> he started laughing about it. He's like, well, he's like, I totally agree, man, because it is, it looks crappy. And, uh, he's like, but this is what the client wanted. So I gave it what gave him what he wanted. And then he told me how much he got for it. And I think he got like, four grand is a WordPress site with horrible front end stuff. And I'm like, you got four grand for that. I was like, I'm in the wrong business, brother. <laughs> I need to get into the game you're in. <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. So uh, one of the things that I kind of hear, uh, and it's something that we've uh, talked about on this podcast a lot. Um, you mentioned you've got to lean on, on your network. Uh, and that, is something that you shouldn't try to cultivate. As soon as you say, I'm going to be a freelancer and I'm going to and I need to build a network. That's something, like if, if, you, if you have this in mind, that this is like, I'm going to do for me, I want to build a network, even if you don't want to someday, you need to build a network now. Um, but let's say you take that traditional route, I guess, but the route we just lined up where it's a bootcamp, right? You have to bootcamp, 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 you if I'm telling somebody you want to do this, build up your portfolio for the entire year that you're working to side project. So that way you, you can say, look, I did this for a year. I also did uh, this, 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 and this. And you're not trying to build up your portfolio. Because uh, if, you, if the only thing in your portfolio says that I worked at this place for a year, it's going to be a lot harder to say, I can do this, guys. I promise. You want to be able to show, I've done this. Trust me. And people, in my opinion, would probably pay for somebody that has that built-up portfolio, a year of built-up portfolio, over somebody that has just a year of experience and decided to go into uh, you know, the whole freelance stuff. What do you think about that? Is that, is that a good strategy? Are there other strategies that you would suggest, or what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great strategy. And I think in addition to that, um, you can also be doing freelance work, you know, starting while you still have your full-time job, right? So let's say, all right, right, I'm six months in, I've been working a little bit on these side projects, I'm starting to feel pretty comfortable at work. At that point, you know, you have all this cushion, right? And that's a good time for you to go and start looking uh, potentially for a freelance project that can a, build your portfolio or might even blossom into something that you can use to say, I'm, I'm going to working on this as, as I go into being a digital nomad. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's exactly what I, I meant. Just while you have that full-time job, build up that portfolio. I think that's, that is probably the best route. Um, and so... What, uh, what's some of the, the advice that you would give somebody that's, that's been toying around with it, but just isn't sure if, if it's for them? Like, like Jason said, I, I am intrigued with it, but I just, I don't know if it's something that I could do or I want to do or, or things like that. I mean, obviously Jason's got kids, I've got kids, so that makes it a little bit uh, more, um, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, but I, I do know people that have done it with kids also they they put them in an international school i was talking to my buddy brian weaver brian is probably going to be listening to this episode and he told me about a family uh i think it was i want to say in like puerto rico or something like that uh or maybe it was the dominican i don't know but they just a, a couple they were both developers they had kids they put them in a a, a spanish um school uh and just had them had them have that experience, but somebody that's toying around with that, that is thinking about it, what, how can they kind of test the waters to see if it's like, what's the first step? Um, yeah. So I think there's, there's two main challenges. Um, and you know, the first one, like we've been talking about is getting, getting work. Right. So right. I'd say before you quit your job and head out, you know, 
make sure that you have something lined up like, all right, I'm going to be working on this when I go and, and start traveling and seeing if I want to do this <coughs> full time. Second would be, um, I think one thing that people forget about when they're thinking about going and doing a digital nomad thing is uh, how important community is. And mm. if you're not strategic about it, it can be, it can be difficult depending on where you go and how you're trying to find a community to, to become a part of. It can be difficult to find the right people. So, you know, for example, if you go to, to Thailand and you just <laughs> kind of hang out with the same type of people that you would hang out with when you go on vacation there, so you're living at a hostel or something like that, then you're going to be hanging out with a bunch of people who get drunk six nights a week and are going to be gone in 10 days, right? right. You're not going to be building lasting relationships and the people who you're hanging out with are going to be, you know, kind of in a different mindset from how you are, right? You're like, I'm living here full time. I'm not necessarily partying every night of the week. This is just my life. So yeah. you have to make sure you go to a place where there is a community set up for digital nomads. Um, you, know, you can start connecting with these communities on nomadlist. It's a great website. Um, there's communities across Facebook and, and other social media forums where you can find out where there are places where you know, there's already group people who you can hang out with uh, who will, you know, have a shared cultural experience with you before you start diving into like, hey, I'm going to go hang out just with locals because it might be difficult when you first get there. Yeah. Um, so I think those are the two main things. Just be strategic about where you're going. Make sure that there's a community there for you and make sure that you've gotten creative and have that work set up ahead of time. I think that's, you brought up a really good point that I hadn't even really thought of because I lived in uh, in Europe for almost four years, uh, and at times that was a hard thing to. Sometimes it did feel like I had community. I was living with the same people, but in the very beginning, it was, it was really hard, um, just because I, I didn't speak the language, I didn't know anybody. Uh, so having that community that you can kind of go to and lean on in the beginning, I think that's that's a huge point that I didn't even think of. That's awesome. Um, very cool. So I mean, that's I really appreciate your guys' time. We're, we're kind of coming towards the end of the the podcast here, but uh, real quick, if somebody wanted to find out more about you and Destination Dev and everything like that, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you a little bit more? Yeah you, can, yeah, you can go to our website, um, destinationdev.com. Um, also, you can follow us on Instagram. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these are the main sources. Um, and you can also send an email at destinationdev.com. It's very short. It's 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 short.